This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. What I uh, particularly like from what you were saying uh, today is that I didn't realize, but the poppies come uh, originally from an idea from an American. And that's awesome because God led me to a story about an American. So it now ties so much better together than I could ever have imagined. So, one rainy day during the American Revolutionary War. Yes, that's when the Americans didn't want to be associated with us. (laughs) Maybe because we were a bit overbearing. Anyway, let's carry on. A rider on horseback came across a group of soldiers attempting to raise a wooden beam to a high position. The corporal in charge was shouting encouragement, but the soldiers couldn't get the beam in position. After watching their lack of success, the rider asked the corporal why he didn't join in and help, to which the corporal replied, don't you know who I am? Don't you realize that I am the corporal? The rider dismounted his horse and went to work with the soldiers to get the oak beam in position. As they finished, the rider wiped perspiration from his face, turned to the corporal and said, if you should need help again, call on me, George Washington, your commander-in-chief, and I will come. I love that story. The story of a general willing to get down in the dirt and heave a heavy object alongside the soldiers. Felt like a really good way to start today's sermon on Remembrance Day. Christian author Max Lucado said, Humility has such power. Apologies can disarm arguments. Contrition can diffuse rage. Olive branches do more good than battle axes ever will. And today's text from the book of Luke is all about humility. So let's get to it. Let's pray first. Father God, I pray for every person here. Lord God, and under the ministry of your word, they receive what they need from today's message. There's always more than one point that you want to bring to people. And I pray each person receives and pays attention to that point you have for them, Lord God, because I believe that is how it is life to all flesh. So we lay the scriptures before you and we say, have your way this morning. Amen. Okay. Last week, Sue explained that Jesus had been invited to a Pharisee's home for a meal. So here we are at that meal in today's passage, Luke 14, verses 7 to 11, and it's titled The Parable of the Wedding Feast. So here he is, sat amongst these Pharisees and scribes. Now, 
He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted." You know, what I love about this story is that Jesus notices how the people are behaving. But he doesn't just tell them off directly. He makes conversation. Actually, many of us would do that and think we're, we're taking the least confrontational approach. But remember what Max Licado said, humility has such power. So what Jesus seems to be doing is seemingly giving advice for a future event you might be at when you're at a wedding feast. You're not at a wedding feast right now. I'm giving you advice for the future. It's quite helpful, really. Let's think about that together. What he could have done was call them out. He could have said, look at you all jostling for the best position. Stop it. But instead, he simply said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast sometime in the future, Do not sit down in the place of honour. He chose a gentler way to get his message across. And thank you, Sue, for praying about being gentle in the prayer meeting. God has his hand on this message. He has his hand on this service. And God wants us to know about the gentler way. Have you noticed how some Christians like to uh, slap people with the right way to do things? Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you're embarrassed by that. I'm sorry. But you could literally call it Bible bashing, couldn't you? Don't do that. Don't do it that way. You can't do it. The Bible says this is the way. I'm sure those who behave that way are passionate. I promise you they are. And I've probably done it myself at some point. But I believe that they think that this ruthless approach to truth is making them like Jesus. But what I notice from Scripture is that Jesus is what we nowadays call people smart. He knows people. He gets how people are different. And the Bible shows time and again that he did not apply one way to deal with all folk. You know, there's one way to God, but there's many ways to deal with people. He always chose the best way to present the truth to his particular listeners in any event. You know, I used to know someone who used to bang on. He used to go like this. It's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, but it's the truth. And we'd go, yeah, but you're not getting your point across very well. And he'd go, no, it's the truth. It's the truth. Can I ask you, if I say it's the truth over and over, or anyone does to you, Can I ask you, is telling you it's the truth enough to convince you it's the truth? Or might you need a little bit more to take you on that journey? Might it help you if I show you the truth? 
Maybe I could illustrate the truth in the form of a story you can imagine and therefore see the truth for yourself. Just like at the beginning of this message. God's so clever, I didn't even realise I'd put a story in on a message about illustrating the truth. (laughs) I never tell stories and there it is. I like this explanation of what a parable is. A parable is a real-life illustration set alongside a biblical truth to give an example. In using parables, Jesus placed the opportunity for learning before all those who were open to it. Now, some folk will have heard it and simply heard a story. Those who were open to learning received revelation. If we bash people with our righteousness, I'm right, you're wrong, we're putting them down. We're making them smaller than ourselves. You could even call it pride. We're assuming we know better. And yes, we might actually know better. Yes, that's true. But we have to take into account that person standing in front of us is a person with thoughts, feelings and experience that have led them to this place. They're not just arguing with us. They have their own thoughts and us bashing them down and disrespecting their own experience is not the best way to enlighten them. We have to meet people where they are. Bashing someone with the truth doesn't come across as passionate, though it may be driven by passion. And it doesn't often act to enlighten the listener. Instead, it paints us as arrogant and unloving. Traits that Jesus never once asked us to develop as his beloved church. And Jesus dealt with the person in front of him. Not the job title or status. The real human being standing right there. With Jesus, all individuals received personalised, bespoke training opportunities appropriate just for them. Let me give you a brief example of this. In a different encounter with Pharisees, remember he's sat amongst Pharisees and scribes right now, you can look up in Matthew 23 another time, because I don't have time for it, Jesus took a much more blunt approach. In fact, he repeatedly said the phrase, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So yes, in that occasion, he was harsh, perhaps. He was very blunt and to the point. Yet... Here in today's passage, he could have done the same, quite honestly. But what we find is that Jesus in the home of a Pharisee, surrounded by a similar crowd as you find in Matthew 23. But this time, he's not calling them out. He appears to be simply making conversation. Ah, yes, one day we might be at a wedding feast and this is how it could go. He's gently illustrating a truth through a parable. And of course, the parable was about a wedding feast and his listeners were not currently at a wedding feast so they could enjoy the story without feeling condemned. Now, in my experience, not a lot of learning happens when a person feels in condemnation. In fact, that usually just leads to offence, defence or distress. Instead of condemnation, people need revelation a revealing of truth that happens within their own hearts and minds. So we see Jesus simply chatting about the best way to behave at a wedding feast. Nothing offensive about that. 
Yet he knew for those who received it, the revelation within that parable could be transferred into a more generic behaviour transformation across their lives that would make a better human experience for all. Jesus chose the familiar to make his point succinctly. And maybe I'm not making a point succinctly, sorry, but let's keep going. A wedding feast is something everyone would have experience of. So this parable was indeed, a, as it said on the screen earlier about what a parable is, a real-life illustration. That was an example of a biblical truth. And here's the biblical truth it was an example of. Proverbs 18, verse 12, humility comes before honour. That's the second half of the proverb, I think. Or, as the Apostle Paul would later so aptly put it, in Philippians 2, verse 3, and I think this is even better, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He's literally teaching that, right? Years before Paul wrote it in Philippians. (laughs) In Jesus' day... The seating arrangement at a dinner, any dinner, showed a definite order of honour. And the most important person would sit in a particular seat. And then the next most honoured person in another seat and so on. And I think you've probably picked that up from the parable for yourselves. Now, we don't have those same customs. However, anyone who has organised a traditional wedding here in the UK knows that we still actually often do have a top table. Top table. We even call it the top table. (laughs) The place of honour. That's where the bride and groom sit, and often their family. And it can get a bit complicated when their family's too big to sit at the table with our complicated families. And then you've got a complicated question over who either do we add to the top table or take off the top table, and that's awful. But that's what happens at a traditional wedding in the UK. So I think many of us actually do have experience of what's going on in this. And in fact, I don't know if you've realised, and maybe you hadn't realised when you sat by the door at the wedding, but actually there's more hierarchy at a wedding sometimes, depending who's organising it and how they're organising it. Uh, If you come to Bethany's wedding, it probably won't be there. Um, (laughs) But the hierarchy is, um, you've got the top table, and then the closer tables, coming away are more important than the people at the back by the door. Did you realise that? Because that's true. In many weddings, that is how you're supposed to organise the tables. So, (laughs) we have experience of the reality of this embarrassing situation. If you were sat next to the bride and someone came and said, excuse me, I don't care how good a friend you are, you do not belong there, you need to go and sit over there, you'd feel kind of embarrassed. It'd be awkward. Better to sit over there or find your nameplate at a wedding, quite honestly. Right. (laughs) Anyway, um, actually, I have a different experience to bring to this, and I'm going to share it with you briefly. I've been to several Christian conferences where the front row is reserved for church leaders. I've even been to them where there's been a ribbon you should not cross. Mm, Yeah. And even in Christian circles, there can actually be, and I'm sure you know, a hierarchy of leadership roles and titles. And in these sorts of situations, maybe it's just because I'm a bit insecure, because I am a church leader, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, But maybe I'm a little bit insecure in my position. Or maybe I have this parable hanging around in the back of my head. I'm not really sure why. But what I tend to do is not assume that I can sit in the front row. What I tend to do is sit quite near the front, second or third row. You know why? Because I'm an eager beaver. I sit in the front here. By the way, anyone can join me in the front. Any of you can join me in the front. This is not reserved. Um, But I'm an eager beaver. 
you will find me near the front in any service I attend anywhere because I love Jesus and I want to get up near the front and be really enveloped in it and not distracted by everything else. So I do sit fairly near the front, but never in the first row. However, and I have actually been in the situation where I've been in the third or fourth row and somebody has come to me and invited me to move up into the front row. It's literally a modern day life uh, example, a real life example of the parable that Jesus told that I've actually experienced in my life. And perhaps you've had similar experiences at work or in other organisations. Perhaps there's been times where you have decided, or the, or the other way around, and been asked to move. Awful. But it could happen. And it's so cringy. So I think we can all understand and actually physically cringe at the idea that we might be asked to be moving from a place of honour to a lower place. And therefore, most of us will likely make a mental note, at least today, if not before, to be careful and avoid making the mistake of thinking more highly than ourselves of ourselves than we ought to choose humility. And I think this parable, therefore, could be summed up as it's always better to be truly humble. And I put the word truly in there because some people think humility is downplaying their strengths. And I want to tell you today, I wrote a good pantomime. But I didn't write a good pantomime because Lydia's a good writer, because I have never worked so hard on that thing, ever. And we're still, I'm still editing it. We're still changing it as we go. And I'm telling you that because it's okay to declare what is right and good and what God has called you and gifted you to and where God has worked with you through something. And I think it's really important that we don't do this awful false humility, okay? Now, there is no way I could have written that pantomime without God. So hallelujah for God, because I was, I was brain empty, I promise you, brain empty, literally coming at blank pages going, I got nothing. Um, and so God is so, so good. Re but it's not humility to downplay your strengths, because that's actually a false representation of a gifting that God has placed in you. Frank is a darn good worship leader. And so he mustn't downplay that. He must allow himself to acknowledge, actually, God, you've gifted me with this. What more do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to grow in this? That's the correct approach to a gifting. Not to go, yes, all right, I've learned guitar once. You know, do you see what you could do and what you could not do? Christian author C.S. Lewis summed it up so beautifully. And if you go home with nothing else, you can even write this down if you want or look it up because it's the best quote in the whole sermon and sums everything up. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You know, while you're downplaying your strengths, you're still thinking about yourself. We have to stop thinking about ourselves. That's what true humility is. And now, before I found that quote, I made a little note of what I thought true humility was defined as. So I'll give you that too. Um, I think it's a mix of these things. Not comparing and raising your strength above someone else's different strengths. We do that, and that's not humble. Being servant-hearted. Making a choice to raise others higher. Placing your needs or wants behind the needs or wants of the others around you. And I think true humility could be spelt R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You want to find out what it means to me? I'll tell you. I used to run 
at school's assembly ministry team called the Assembly Angels. And we used to teach this on a regular basis. We used to teach the children respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And this is how we got them to understand what respect is, hopefully on the screen. R, remembering. Everyone is special. Protect each other. Be considerate and thoughtful. We used to do it with the signs as well so that it was really going in. Respect. Remembering everyone is special. Protect each other. Be considerate and thoughtful really sums up respect. And respect goes in both directions. That story of George Washington helping his soldiers was a great example of respect and it was a top-down respect. And so is the biblical story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He was being considerate and thoughtful. Jesus' wedding feast parable is all about showing respect to each other through humility. And I found this quote from a 19th century philosopher. I won't try and say his name. It says, there's no respect for others without humility in oneself. And that's how respect is. You have to be humble enough to show respect. Luke 11, I mean, sorry, verse 11 of today's passage in the Amplified, reads like this. Luke 14, verse 11 in the Amplified. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled before others, and he who habitually... That's easy, isn't it? Habitually humbles himself, keeps a realistic self-view, will be exalted. I like that, because in the Amplified, they put in brackets what it really means, and keeps a realistic self-view is the best explanation of what being humble is, right? Keep it real. Don't think more highly of yourself. Our modern society, let me be, and I'm going to be a bit political and honest here, our modern society is at least as bad, most likely worse, than the Pharisees in this story. If you think about it, all across society, we jostle for position in many areas of our modern lives. Promotion at work, loudest voice in the conversation, that's often me, sorry, Bec becoming the 20th Prime Minister of the Year. Yeah, people are still jostling for that. They're still trying. I don't know if you noticed. Please don't get me wrong. By the way, it's not 20th. That was hyperbole. Sorry, I am exaggerating. Though it's something like five, is it? How many is it? <laughs> something ridiculous. <laughs> Please don't get me wrong. Wanting to climb the ladder at work is not bad in itself. Please don't get me wrong. And uh, stretching yourself or growing and having new goals to aim for actually is good and godly. I guess it's more about how you go about it. Do you tear others down verbally? Or throw yourself in the way of everyone else so that you prevent anyone else from getting close to the seat of honour, like a grown-up game of musical chairs? Or do you work hard, whether anyone's watching or not? And do you treat everyone with respect, R-E-S-P-C-T, along the way? Are you considerate and thoughtful, whether they deserve it or not? Somebody send this sermon to Parliament, please. Seriously, though, what we see in Parliament is a reflection of what we see all over our society. And I believe it's got worse since COVID, not better, which is 
hugely surprising to me. You would think that through COVID, where we cared for each other, you would think we would have got better, but we've got worse. I really believe it. There's backbiting. Everybody's aiming at the top job, whether they're suitable, equipped, or willing to do all that is necessary to make it right and good. And can I tell you, there are several pages, Mark could put up a blank screen if he wants, there are several pages of a rant that I had to take out there because that's how, I, how passionate I was feeling when I was writing this. And then I had to remember that passion isn't helpful, it comes over as arrogance, and we need to get on. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago when we were between prime ministers, uh, and for those of you listening to this in three, four, five, ten years' time, you might not realise what a year we've had. It's 2022. Look it up in the history books. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we were between prime ministers again, three weeks after getting a new one. Mark prayed a prayer in our pre-service prayer meeting, and he prayed over the government. And it's resonated with me since he prayed that, because this is what he said, he said and I can't obviously quote him, we didn't write it down, we weren't scribing it, um, but basically he said something along the lines of that the government, he prayed, the government would have a revelation that we call them ministers because they are here to minister, to serve and care for the public. We also call them civil servants, and that job title literally means to serve the civilians. Mark prayed that the servant heart would return to Westminster. And I want to suggest, and I never speak about politics, but I want to suggest that we need to be praying this continually. Lord, return the servant heart to Westminster. Amen. You know, there's a lot of jostling for position in our society. And you probably do experience it at work or in school or in some of your social time with clubs and societies. It even happens there. Who's going to be the secretary? Who's going to hold the money? Who's going to do this? Oh, my goodness. It's nonstop. And it could be easy to join in. But you know what the great news is? That we don't need to jostle for high position. In fact, God says he elevates us. He elevates us. And you know what he also says? He says we're already sat on the top table. Hallelujah. Right there in heaven with God through Jesus. Right now, I think you thought you were sat in Malmesbury in Hope Church, but you are also right now sat in heaven at the top table with God through Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 5 to 6 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we did not deserve it. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is why we have spiritual authority on earth, okay? Because we're sat there at the same time as we're sat here. And I wish if we could get this revelation. And I I have to admit, I haven't got it fully myself, but I believe there's more revelation in this. We would be unstoppable because we would see the truth that we read in the Bible outworked in our lives because we would understand where we truly are seated. Anyway, it goes on to say, um, yeah, so, so be aware that God has already seated us in the highest place of honour, not because of anything we did, not because we impressed anyone, least of all God, only because of the relationship we have with Jesus. 
Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So it's simple. You can be humble and treat everyone with respect because you already have the place of honour secured. You know, that story I told at the start about George Washington could reflect really badly on that corporal who was barking orders from on top of his horse. But it occurred to me, and let's do this with everything we encounter, do this, what I did with that story. Maybe his insecurities, think a little bit further about the other person. Maybe his insecurities in his position as corporal kept him mounted on his horse and away from helping those men. Maybe he felt if he came down, he wouldn't be seen as corporal any longer. But George Washington was very confident in who he was so he could get down and help. You know, it's much easier to be humble when you know that your position is secure. There's a lot to be said for being confident in who you are in Christ. So let's remember, you already have a seat at the top table, not because you jostle or grab at it, but because God invites you to join him there. The person of Jesus is your invitation. All you have to do is RSVP with a yes, I'm in, and you are in. There's no jostling, there's no pushing yourself forwards or pushing others down. It's just taking hold of Jesus' outstretched hand there on the cross and saying an incredibly truthful, humble thank you. So if you've never responded to God's invitation, I am going to give you an opportunity now because it would be wrong of me not to. So just pray this prayer with me in your heart, the way you can humbly say thank you to Jesus' invitation to join him at the top table, is pray this prayer, and you can pray any prayer, just say, yes, I want in, and he'll take you in. But this prayer will give you an outlet to do it. So pray this prayer with me in your heart. You don't have to try and say it along with me. That always gets complicated. It will be on screen. But just say a big, loud amen at the end, which just means, I agree, and it makes it personal for you. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you're coming back again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm forgiven. I'm blessed. And... I'm seated in heavenly places because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. There's a lot of Christianese in that prayer, I just realised. If you want it unpacking, come and see me afterwards because it's important you know what's going on between you and God. But when we talk about being seated in heavenly places, a lot of what we mean is you are completely, it's like you can whisper into God's ear. That's what we mean. We mean you're that close, okay? from now on. And now, after praying that, we live like Jesus. So we receive truth through the teaching. We're humble. We consider how we share a truth to others and we let God raise us up. We don't have to do it. 
Now, as we're going to close the service today, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and th- I'm going to read the words of Philippians 2, verses 3 to 10, because they perfectly sum up today's message for us all. But don't jump up at the end of it. Um, I'm going to say it as an amen at the end, and then I just want to introduce you to someone in our church who is part of the ministry team here and you may not have met before. So let's close the service with this scripture, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 10. Think about these things. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let us be like you, Lord. We amen it. We want to be like you. We agree. Amen. 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 